But I just wanted to say, we're all human. Every person here makes mistakes. And that's the beauty of God, is that He doesn't expect us to be perfect. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Now, you might expect your husband or your wife to be perfect. How's that working? <laughs> no, they're going to let you down, right? There's only one that's perfect, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son. And today, we're going to talk about him. Imagine that. How many know that he is the conversation? You see, there is this tension in the world today. There's this, this sin element, the darkness, and then there's this, this pure, holy God that said, I want a relationship with everybody. But the only way that he could do that is to somehow be able to not look at the sin. And that's where Jesus came in. Through his shed blood, he's a covering over us. We put on that righteousness when we say yes to him. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see Norm the sinner. He sees God's Son. His righteousness, that cloak is over me. And when I stand before the judgment seat one day, <laughs> and it's coming soon, I believe, and everybody's going to be judged for what we've done or not done. When I stand in front of the king and that court hearing is going on, there's going to be one who's going to be accusing and he's going to be saying, Sinner! Failure! And God's going to say, are you guilty? <laughs> and Jesus is going to step up next to me and say, no. He's going to put his arm around me and say, I got this covered. You know, he's going to do that with every person that calls on the name of the Son of God, Jesus. So if you go to heaven, if you die without saying yes to God's Son, then he died for nothing. But if you say yes now and you live for him with the short time we have on this earth, when you get to heaven, they're going to be tooting the horns. The party balloons are going to be falling. We're going to have a feast with him. How many can get excited about that? And today, you know, I'm going to get into a little bit of uh, the, the first chapter. But I just wanted to acknowledge, we've got two beautiful little people in here. Mary, would you stand up with that little precious person? That's Rachel and Nate's little boy. And then over here, would you mind standing up, Ed? Show off your little one there. Hallelujah. Woo! God is growing the kingdom. And I just love this because as we look at these little people, you know, Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus. At least for me it is. Hopefully it is for you. And when I look at these little people, and Lisa, you're over there. Yours isn't all that far off the bubble. 
My goodness. I just hear them hooting and hollering through the worship. It's like, yes. They're learning how to worship God at such a young age. And the story today, as we get into this, it actually has to do with his birth. And just think about that. I love, brother, man, you did a great job again today. I just love how you brought that in. And what if somebody in a, in a mansion there or a castle or whatever it was back then had said, hey, why don't you come and stay with me? And, and I never thought about that. How would the shepherds have gotten in? They probably would have had guards. Hey, you can't come in here. You stink. You smell like sheep. But with Jesus being in whatever it was, some say a cave, some say a manger, or a, a, some kind of dwelling for animals, whatever it was, he was accessible. That's so cool. It, how many know he's accessible? I think that's why God sent him. The Father was saying, look, through the whole Old Testament, you haven't been able to get to me, but now I want you to know you can get to me. Hallelujah. That's good news. I haven't even started yet. I better start. Oh. So last week I started the story of the ten virgins, and we had a snowstorm, and many of you weren't here. Maybe you watched it on the live stream. And I had a number of people that were here say, you know, you really need to hit that again. So I didn't get through it all last week. Uh, even if I had had time, it would have been two or three hours if we'd stayed that long. So today, I wanna, I'm going to revisit it just a little bit. If you were here last week, it may not even sound like the same message because, again, God has given me so much on what's happening here and how it relates to you and me. This is all about church today, his church today. This story has to do with you and me and how we respond to him. Can you say amen? amen. All right. So here we go. And, and again, it's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. That's where our key text is. Um, I pointed out last week that Matthew was a Jew. Imagine that. Jesus picked him. All those guys were Jews when he picked them. But Matthew had a special mission, and surprisingly, even though he talked mostly about how Jesus had come just for the Jew, he ended up, history shows us, he ended up ministering to a converted Jewish church. In other words, like a messianic church that we would describe today. That's where he ended up ministering toward the end of his life. And he wrote this book, the Gospel of Matthew, as a disciple-type manual to show people how to live. All right, what is Jesus all about? Why did God send his son? Have you ever asked that question? And what am I supposed to do with it? What am I supposed to do with him? Those are the questions that Matthew, I believe, eloquently answers for us. And I wanted to go back, and I just wanted to say this is his story. 
Everything we talk about in this church has to do with his story. Get that? His story. He is the cornerstone of everything we believe. He is the foundation of the very earth and the universe as we know it. Everything. Everything focuses, surrounds, circles in on. Say it with me. Jesus. Hallelujah. Why do you think it's the one religion that is being kept out of the schools? Because it's the only religion, the Son of God, Jesus, that makes a difference. All the rest of them are false religions. As we study the Bible, it's important that we understand who wrote what and to whom. And I just explained a little bit of that to you. Some scholars feel that the Gospel of Matthew was written for the Jew, but intended for all of us. And I believe it is. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, we call it the Great Commission. But this is something that all of us are supposed to do. This is one of the last things that Jesus told the church. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus talking, right? Therefore, go. I feel like sometimes we get stuck on this and we think, therefore, wait. Therefore, stop what you're doing and just stay still. What did he say? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is our mission, church. When we meet and have been meeting and continue to meet for this Acts 2 thing that we're doing, the idea is to figure out how to best do this. And hear this. It's not Pastor Norm doing this. It's not Pastor Roger. It's not the rest of the team that we've assembled. There are about 10 or 11 of us. We're not the ones doing this. We're just helping shape the vision so that when you catch it, you're going to do this. You're going to go. Well, where am I going to go? To your own neighborhood, to your own store to your own library, to your own school, to, re- to your own workplace, wherever that is. If God sticks you on a plane on vacation, He's going to put somebody there that you probably need to minister to. And if you go out believing that that's going to happen, guess what? You're going to observe it, you're going to see it, and you're going to be able to say, ha, ah, opportunity. Because God is in the business of giving us opportunity. He wants all men and women, boys and girls, to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish. And He's made a way. But we have to convince some of these folks 
because they've been raised up under false premise, under false religions, under horrific home lives. And this has caused them to say God can't be real. And it's our duty, it's our job. If we have love, the love of God in us, we will be compelled to try to reach these people with the truth, with what He's done for us. To be able to say, hey, guess what? I know life's not perfect. I know life doesn't always deal you a good hand. Sorry for that analogy. But God's still with you. He knew what you were going to face from the beginning of time. And He'll give you everything you need to get from this point to this point. Just trust Him. Give your life to Him. Let Him do what only He can do. How many have ever ministered to somebody like that? Raise your hand up high so we can see it. All right. Thank you. Many of us. Not everybody. Well, half of us haven't had that opportunity. And I want you to know something. God will use you if you let him. I'm not picking on anybody here today. I'm not calling anybody out here today. I'm just saying that God will use you if you let him. And I believe that's what this story today has a lot to do with is us giving Him permission, giving Him room to move. And in that song that we sang, the second to the last one, man, I just... That's us. What did Jesus come to tell us? What did He come to teach us? What do you think the theme was? I believe it was this. The kingdom of heaven is near. How near? Can you feel Him today? Can you feel His presence? Can you sense... Listen, if you understand what Scripture says, the prophecies, the book of Revelation, if you look at the things that have been said that are going to come to pass, Matthew 24, it talks about what it's going to look like just before He returns. A technical term is perusia. Isn't that fancy? Everybody say parousia. That's the time just up to when Jesus comes back for His church. The parousia. The return of Christ. And He's going to lift those who are still alive into the air to be with Him forever. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. But he had a mission. And this is what Matthew tries to show us. That mission was, as he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He was talking to these religious leaders who knew the Scriptures. They understood the Old Testament. They knew about these prophecies. And they didn't receive them. In fact, they literally turned on them. Oh, you can't be him. Why? Why'd they say that? Because they thought Jesus was going to be somebody else. (laughs) They expected somebody to be born in a palace, not in a manger. And therefore, in their minds, their, their human finite minds 
They couldn't comprehend the greatness of God in that little package. They just couldn't do it. Logically, they couldn't accept it. Nope, he's riding in on a stallion. Yeah, he is the next time. When he comes back visibly the next time, we're all going to be with him. I hope I get a big stallion too. I love riding horses, but I don't get to do it very often. I'm sure his is going to be way cooler than mine. I doubt Jesus is going to say, all right, Norm, I'm humble. You can go ahead and take her. Take her. Nah. That's all right, Jesus. I'll take whatever you give me. It'll be good enough. He's coming back for a church that loves him, that obeys his commands. Is that you? From the context of Matthew, Jesus invites us to become a part of his kingdom first. And then second, he expects us to follow his example, to be Jesus with skin on. To all the people that are around us. Yesterday, I, you may or may not know this, Carol Haynes is close to going home to glory. And Jean, her loving husband, 64 years, this couple's been married. They have 65 sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters and great and I don't know how far out it goes. Maybe great greats, great great greats, I don't know. 65 kids from this couple raised in the faith. They have, they have run the race. All right? They're ready. Some of us are here. We haven't even got in the race yet, but God's saying, hey, come on, it's time. It's time. Let me take what you have. In your hands, it's nothing but in mine. Let's see what we can do. Hallelujah. I think that's pretty good news. You see, to neglect either one of these, that the kingdom is here, or that we have a part to neglect any one of these will result in this. Truly, I tell you, I didn't know you. It's the second to the last verse of our allegory on the ten virgins. I wanted to go back briefly. I don't know how far I'm going to get today. <laughs> I hope I get done, but I'm thinking I'm not going to. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. And I'm not going to put it up behind me. I just want you to understand, why did Matthew feel it was important to put that in there? Anybody? Jeff, you're good at this. To authenticate that Jesus was the Messiah... And I think beyond that, Jeff, there's one other thing he really wanted us to see, and that was that Jesus was human. 
Who was his mom? Mary. And his dad? Joseph. All right? Now, we're going to get to this in a minute. But what I want you to see, and this is what just blew me away, and every time I look back at it, there were five people in this story, five women in this story, in this lineage that Matthew showed us. Now, you have to understand something. Most of the time when Jews, Jewish people do their lineage, it's all by men. So what we see happening here is Jesus, right out of the gate, is showing us, you know what? I'm no respecter of person. I love men and women alike. Paul even says this, that in God's eyes, we're equal. Why is this important? It isn't just the fact that they were women. It's the types of women that I wanted to point out. This is amazing. First one, Tamar. I think I've got it up here. Ooh, Matthew 1. Yeah, you got that. Tamar. Tamar, however you say it. She was the daughter-in-law of Judah. If you know the story, <laughs> she was married to one of Judah's sons, and he did something that God did not like, and God decided to take him out of the picture. He killed him. Well, that left Tamar without a husband. So according to, what do you call it? The, do you remember? I just forgot. It just went, there, there's a, a, where's my other brother in here that knows everything? Yeah, today he's going to be silent. Brother Drew, do you know what I'm talking about? Where the family, if, if you're, brother's wife dies and you have to marry her? Redeemed. There's another name for it and I can't. Anyway, you guys. Kinsman Redeemer. There's actually something else. I don't remember what it is. Maybe next week I'll tell you. I uh, should have written it down. See, if I don't write stuff down, you don't get it. Sometimes. So, Tamar. The second boy comes along. All right? And he's in his head. He's thinking, all right, I'll marry her, but I'm not getting her pregnant. And I don't mean to be gross, but he, he didn't allow things to happen between them. I'll leave it at that. You can read the story. And God got angry with him for doing that and killed him too. So now this poor girl has gone through two of this guy's boys, and he only has one left, and he's a little too young at this point to be a husband. So he tells her, Judah tells Tamar, look, you just hang on when he's old enough. We'll have you marry him. But he didn't. When his third son was old enough, in Judah's mind he's thinking, man, if he marries her, God's going to kill him too. Kind of sad, right? Boy, you can see the trust there. Tamar took things into her own hands. Judah was actually going to shear the sheep. And on his way, he had to pass by the temple. And she dressed herself up, took off her dark clothing, 
put on some really nice clothing, including a veil so he couldn't see her face. And I guess that was a sign of a prostitute. And she parked herself at the temple so when Judah went by, hey, big boy. (laughs) This is her father-in-law, by the way. This is in Scripture, by the way. He didn't know. But apparently it had been a while, and he said, hey, hey, okay. And he did the wild thing. He told her, he said, I'm going to give you a goat for doing this. And she said, well, what proof do I have that you're going to come back and actually do that? He said, well, what do you want? And she said, I want, I want some of your stuff. He had a, something he hung around his neck. He had a staff that was his. Everybody would have known that. And there was something else that I already forgot what it was. Could have been a signet ring. Somebody else said that earlier. And then he took off. Three months went by. Apparently she started showing, which honestly for most of you ladies, at three months you hardly show. But this girl must have been sticking out there because people noticed And guess what they wanted to do? Kill her. It's like, what? She's a prostitute. So they drug her out in the street, and and this is what she said. She said, here, you take these items, you take them to Judah, and you say, hey, the person that they're about to stone said to give these to you, but the child was yours. (laughs) Uh-oh. Busted. And he knew at that point that he had sinned against her and God by not allowing her to marry his third son. And she had to take things into her own hands. As a result, this is who God chooses to put in his lineage. Why does that matter? How many can say God chose broken humans? Rahab was a prostitute. She was the one inside of Jericho that saved the two spies. She hid them. And as a result, they said, listen, when we come back to take this city, you let your scarlet thread hang from your window and we will not touch any of your people in your room. And they honored that. And look, look. She ends up the mother of Boaz. Who was Boaz? He was the kinsman redeemer to none other than Ruth, the Moabitess. She wasn't Jewish, by the way. Tamar was allegedly a Canaanite. I didn't mention that. Ruth was a Moabitess. Rahab, by the way, was a Canaanite. Bathsheba, she's another one. Ruth was an awesome girl, by the way. If you go back, read that book. She is amazing. 
but she wasn't Jewish. God was showing us, look, I've got all bloodlines in me. He wanted us to know that. He came to save all men. Listen, listen to what they did with, with Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. They don't name her. Because she was the one that slept with David after he saw her taking a bath. Now we've had this talk. I don't feel like it was necessarily her fault because when a king summons you, you pretty much do what the king says. I lay all the blame on David himself because he had the authority. And yet Matthew chooses not to name her, but rather to describe her as Uriah's wife, the one David killed trying to cover up the pregnancy. You know what this shows me? God came for sinners. God came for the broken people. And he wanted us to know, yeah, okay, I've got Jewish blood in me, yep. But I've got some others too. I'm your people. No matter who you are, Gentiles, non-Jews, I'm your people. And he wanted us to see that perfection didn't come through that bloodline. Perfection came from heaven. Jumping over to the next part of this. This is the birth of Jesus. Acts, and then verse 18, uh, 118, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So Matthew's trying to show us, again, how Jesus came to be. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Only in the Bible. Most would have said she committed what? Adultery. Because back then, once, once you were engaged, it was like being married. This poor virgin girl gets woken up in the middle of the night with this angelic being, hey, you're going to be the mother of God. <laughs> Randy, how would you feel about that? You'd be like, what? This poor girl had to live with this. She knew she was pure, but I can promise you everybody in that town was talking about him. Yeah, right. God did this, yeah. Uh-huh. Ladies, don't try coming to your parents telling them that. Won't work. Wow. Back to where I'm at. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So in his mind, what's he thinking? Man, really? I thought we had something. 
But I'm a gentleman, so I'm not going to throw you out immediately. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is something else Matthew's really good at. He draws from the Old Testament, he draws from the prophecies, and he said, look, this is where it came to pass. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Then, this would have really been hard to believe or even understand. Today, we, we kind of do it uh, where we artificially inseminate the egg. So it's not all that far-fetched today that the Holy Spirit could have done this. What we all need to understand, though, is this. When Jesus came, He didn't stop being God. He was 100% God when He was conceived in her womb. And yet, the Bible says he was 100% man. He didn't give up his godship, and he didn't give up his manship, if I can put it like that. He became the personage of both. I, I, I had a, a quote here from gotquestions.org. I love that website, by the way. If you ever have a question, they're a solid resource to go to in, in modern, fairly easy ways to understand. Jesus is not half human and half divine, he said. Rather, he is theanthropos, the God-man. The Lord Jesus Christ is one eternally divine person who will forever possess two distinct yet inseparable natures, one divine and one human. When he went to heaven, he was still man. In fact, the Bible says that he is the mediator between the Father and us, the Son of Man. He didn't stop becoming man. He needed to be a man in order to take our place. But he needed to be God in order to be perfect. This is what Matthew was trying to show us through all of this leading up to this point. Matthew wanted us to see the human side of Jesus. That's why he went to such great lengths to show us where he came from and how he was born of a virgin. Matthew was the only disciple that showed us this facet of his birth. He also wanted us to see clearly how God demonstrated this 
in miraculous form. Nobody else could have done this. He was a miracle in so many ways. But, and I know I had this up here. But. I talked about the five divisions last week, or discourses, and that's just to make it easier to understand the book. Matthew was really good at this. But we're going to focus on that last one up there, chapters 23 to 25, and that's where the ten virgins is sandwiched in between. So starting out, quick overview, the main text, of course, is Matthew 25, 1 through 13. The story of the ten virgins has to do with five wise, I'm going to call them maidens because that's what a lot of the commentaries suggest is a better translation. Not a, not a virgin so much as like one of our bridesmaids today. So five maidens who were wise, five who were foolish. They're all getting ready for the party, for the big moment, the big ceremony, for the groom to return. And they were given one job, and that is to wait. Go and wait. And what I want you to see is leading up, chapter 23, Jesus is actually talking to, if you remember this from last week, if you were here, he was talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he kind of called them out. He wasn't very nice to them at all. Some versions say that he called them a whitewashed sepulcher, which is basically a tomb. And this is where we get those seven woes. Jesus wasn't happy with these guys. And this is what he said. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Those are pretty strict words. They should have known better. He called them a hypocrite. And that's a person who pretends to be somebody that they're not. So what did these priests, what did these Pharisees do that was so wicked that Jesus called them out seven woes, seven times? They just said it. They were pretending to be faithful but they were really doing things their own way. They had made all kinds of man-made laws, heaped them on the people. Nobody could obey them all. There were so many. And Jesus was angry about that. He said, listen, I want people to come into heaven, but you're preventing them from ever getting to us, to me. I believe the warning for us today would be simple. Do not prevent people with all your wisdom, with all your Bible knowledge. Do not prevent people from coming to me. Be warned, church. You think you're religious? You think you're all that? You know what I've been learning since I've gone back to school? I don't know much. I don't know if that was a yup for... I don't know much or that you're just agreeing. <laughs> Either way, it's true. I don't care. Yep. 
We have to be careful with the message God has given us. And He has given us a great message. Love people. Don't, don't treat them like, well, someday you'll be at my level. You'll know God from up here. No. Man, you better get out on your belly. You better cry out to Him and say, forgive me. I know nothing. Lord, help me to love people. Help me to be Jesus. And if they hurt me, oh well. You know what? They're probably hurting inside. Do you know that people that usually lash out, they're the ones that need the healing the most? So when you have somebody barking at you, cussing at you sometimes, huh? Has that ever happened to you? And you're just sitting there going, what is this? And you don't want to take it. What's your flesh say? If I could, I'd pick that up. Boom! You just want to pummel them. It's like, really? Jesus says, no. Leave them be. Don't don't buy into what they're doing. Don't jump on that, that bus. You just be nice to them. And how many know that's not always that easy? Being nice to those who are being offensive to you. Calling you names. Calling your wife names. Oh, man, you want to get under my skin? I shouldn't tell you this. Go ahead. Pick on my wife. I dare you. I double dare you. That's when I'm really called to. And I have to just stop. And I have to breathe. You know, that's a great thing to do, by the way. A diffuser. You, You inhale. And you hold it for 15, 20 seconds if you can. And then you exhale. You do that a couple times, and guess what? You're either going to pass out or <laughs> you're going you're gonna to feel better. Right? It, it'll kinda, it actually brings your blood pressure down. You know, that's something the police do. Because they, they have to face people who are so obnoxious. Usually when they do, they're drunk, so they're not in their right minds. And they get to somehow bring that person down where they don't hurt somebody else or the the trooper or whoever it is. And they have to be on their game at all times. Otherwise, they don't carry billy clubs anymore, but they'll just... They can't do that. They'll lose their jobs. And I just say this, we as Christians, we need to be the example for other people to follow. And, and I believe that's why Jesus came, to show us the way. They abused him. They called him everything in the book. They denied his deity. They, they actually said, you're the son of the devil. You can't get any lower than that. And yet, though he could have called all of, he- all of heaven's Fury down on those people. He didn't. He loved them. Tried to. And you know what? The day that they took him to the cross and they mocked him and they beat him and they put the crown of thorns on his head and they pounded that on. They cast lots for his clothes. You know that day he could have said, Enough! I hate these people for doing this to me. But you know what he did? 
God, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was our example. So we might have to take a few little insults here and there. Let it roll off. Love them. Be Jesus. Because you don't know by you doing that if that person will end up saying, hey, you know what? You didn't deserve that. I've had it happen. Took years. <laughs> Took years. I've had it happen. And it's awesome to see him turn around. Say thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. I haven't even started. I'm going to stop soon. Mm. Lord, help us. Where do you want me to go? I wanted to point out that the chapter before the virgin's story, it all had to do with the end, the end, what was coming. Jesus talked about there would be earthquakes, there would be uh, all kinds of catastrophes, wars and rumors of wars, things like that. And then he said, these are just the beginning of the birth pains. And I talked a little bit about that because we had some <laughs> ladies in here and what that would look like. You know when you're going to have a baby. Uh, my daughter-in-law, Sarah, is expecting, her due date was last week. Um, if she hasn't had it by Tuesday, they're going to induce. But I only tell you that today she was feeling the birth pains, more of them. And so she's hoping to go natural. But uh, you know when you're about to have a baby is what I'm trying to say. You know, it doesn't just sneak up on you and you, all of a sudden, hey, you're having a baby. Unless it's your fourth one. That happened to my wife. I had to make her go to the hospital. And we walked in the door and, and the, the nurse came in and checked her real quick. And she goes, you're going to have a baby. And my wife's like, duh. And the nurse goes, no, you're having it right now. He's coming out. <laughs> uh, and she had Troy like minutes later. You were quick, man. <laughs> Biggest baby, too. Jesus wanted us to know that just prior to his coming back, we were going to know what it would look like. He talked about how there would be two in the field, one would be taken and one would be left. What is that representing? The rapture. And then after all of that, after explaining what it's going to look like just before he comes, then he goes to this story about the ten virgins. Oh, Lord. One of the important things that I, I think I might conclude with here is this. In each of these parables or allegories, a parable 
is a story that you can understand fairly easy. An allegory is a story that has kind of a secret meaning, and you have to figure that out. I believe that the Ten Virgins is an allegory. Um, the others are more of a, a, a parable. You can figure it out fairly easy. And Jesus was a master at telling these things. But in the, the field where the one would be taken, one would be left, it was 50-50. In the, in the story of the ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. 50-50. In the next part, it doesn't work that way because there were actually three of them. And this is where they talked about the gold. And two of them were faithful, one wasn't. So when the master came back, the two that were faithful, they were rewarded. The one that wasn't, get thee behind me. I didn't know you. And then in the last part there, it actually talks about the sheep and goats. So there again. When Matthew did this, what he was trying to get you and me to see is that, look, all of these play together. You need to look at the big picture in order to be able to understand the ten virgins story. And God wants you to understand this story. And normally it doesn't take me two weeks to get to something, but I'm going to stop now. Because it's noon. And I'm going to try to finish this next week. And I'm diving right in next week. The ten virgins. So hold on to those candles, ushers. Had something I was going to put in your hand. You'll get it next week if you're here. Would you stand with me? The word that we heard earlier was, my mercy has been extended. It's like a river flowing out of heaven down into his churches. You know, when we come together, it does something in the Spirit. Where two or more gather in his name, the Bible says he is here. God's presence is here with us. And even when we're alone, if we're born again, the Spirit is with us. But there's something about a, a corporate environment where we come together and, and just worship Him that it, it produces something that we can't get to on our own. This is why church is so important. Again, you can listen to these services online, and for those of you who are, I don't mean any, any harm toward you, but what I'm saying is, how many would agree you can't feel the presence like you can when you're here? There's just something electric, something supercharged or supernatural about the environment. And this is where God does His work most of the time. At least in my experience. And I'm not saying God can't do something outside of the church. I don't mean that. Come on. In fact, I want you all to go out there and tell people about Jesus. You see what he can do out there. That's our challenge. That's what he told us to do. Go. That one that has no hope, go. 
I, I don't want to share, I don't ever share anything about the officers that I, that I ride with, but when I do the chaplain thing, and I got to do it Friday, and I, I was with him the whole shift, so it was almost 12 hours. And we got to the end of the night, and I kept thinking, Lord, I, I just haven't felt like I've accomplished what you wanted me to do today. And I've said this before, the reason that I wanted to be a chaplain was so that I could get out and be with people. And I've had that opportunity. It, it's really provided me with a lot of cool things to be able to experience ministry-wise. At the end of the shift, it's dark, and, and uh, one of the troopers looked up and he goes, hey, there's somebody at the door. And the, the uh, post was already closed. And they went out and they started talking to the man. Well, his son had ran away. An adult son, but apparently he had some issues. That part doesn't matter. What mattered was this dad was broken. How many dads do we have in here? You know what it's like if your son or daughter leaves and you don't know where they're at. You worry, you worry, you worry. And for two weeks, this man has been worrying. And he finally couldn't take it. And he said, I got to get some help. So he came in just to, just to put something out to say, hey, if you've seen my son, would you let us know? And then it hit me. Go pray with him. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm there for the troopers. That's my primary responsibility. But I really felt strongly. And I went out to this man's truck and I just gently said, look, you know, I'm a state police chaplain. I was in my uniform. That was pretty obvious. And I just said, would you like some prayer? I heard about what you're going through. And I said, you know, I'm a dad too, and I know what it feels like if you've got somebody missing like that and you're worried about him. I said, I'd love to pray with you. He says, you know, if you don't mind me crying, he says, all right. And I put my hand on him and we prayed, maybe five minutes. But you could see the relief in him. I don't know. I hope that God discovers where his kid is and, the, and that gets back to the post so they can let him know he's okay. But my whole point of saying that was, I, I wasn't trying to brag, please don't get me wrong here. I was just trying to say, if you put yourself in God's hands, He'll show you these little things, these little windows of opportunity. That wasn't my job to go to that man, but I felt like the Holy Spirit said, please, just go love on Him for a minute. Let Him know that I hear His prayer. I hear His heart cry. How hard is that to do? Anybody? How hard is that to do? Can we be Jesus to a hopeless world today? Can we let our light shine in this dark, dark world? That's what God wants us to do. And the ten virgins, believe it or not, has something to do with that, which you'll find out next week if you come back. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Norm, I need God's mercy today. That's me. He, he sent that clarion cry just for me today. If that's you, would you lift your hand up? Yep, 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 yep. Going up all over the rooms. All over the rooms. 
Thank you, you can put them down. Anybody else? Yeah, I'm seeing them. Lots of folks. I want you just to receive from him today. Just let him do what only he can do. Heavenly Father, we are humbled once again to be in your presence. Today did not go the way I thought it would, but you knew, <laughs> you knew that. And Lord, I pray for every person, every man and woman that just raised their hand, boy and girl. Lord, I pray that if they're asking for your mercy, that you would shower them with it. That it wouldn't just be a little stream, Lord, a little trickle, but rather it would be the full-fledged flood of your Holy Spirit, Lord, washing over them right now. Not to drown them, but to saturate them in your love. In the name of Jesus. God, that they would know, that they would know that you are, you love them and they are yours. And when the devil whispers in their ear, you've gone too far, all they have to remember is Jesus. Jesus is my attorney. Jesus. Jesus, represent me here. I lay my life, I put it under the blood, Lord, because I can't do anything else. <laughs> Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for rescuing me. And thank you for giving me a hope and a future of which without you I wouldn't be able to have. Use me now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. You've given me mercy now. May I extend it to others. Use me, Lord, in, in Jesus' name. And the rest of us who are doing great, help us, Lord, to be the light to the lost, the hope in a hopeless world the salt, Lord, the seasoning. We commit this church, this people, into your hands today. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Next Sunday night, Roger, what's that called? Christmas Miracle Tour. We are blessed to have been asked if we would host the Christmas Miracle Tour. Three artists from Nashville. One of them you know personally, Karen Brokaw. Uh, she's going to be one of the artists that are going to be here. And what they're going to do is they're going to come in. We're going to sing Christmas carols. How many like Christmas carols? Bring your family, friends, neighbors, stuff. And then each one is going to play a song from one of their top songs from their own rep repertoire. All acoustic. It's going to be a really cool afternoon and uh, we'll have refreshments afterwards. So that's next Sunday night at 6 o'clock right here at the Hope. So we'll come to church in the morning then we'll come back at 6. Just wanted to let you know that and there's stuff all over the internet on our website if you go to the events page if you need more information. God bless you.